0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. So today I wanted to talk about a topic that was actually suggested by a subscriber over at my Substack, letsrecover.substack.com, and that is social eating and overall difficulties with eating around other people or social situations that involve food. The person that was asking this actually framed it quite nicely, where they said that it is like my brain has detected social situations as a threat. And this is a good insight because this is also what is underlying in eating disorders in general, right? It is your brain detecting something as a threat when it's not. And the key here, of course, would then be to show your brain that, hey, This is not a threat, right? But what tends to happen with people when they're scared of something is that they end up consciously or subconsciously doing the exact opposite, right? Instead, they're essentially telling their brain, whether they mean to or not, that yeah, you have every right to be scared of this so how does this happen well first of all a classical one is avoidance behavior right so for example imagine being scared of let's say eating out in a restaurant with friends or family right you start avoiding it and when you're avoiding it you're essentially signalizing to your brain that yeah this is a scary dangerous behavior that should be avoided this also creates this cycle where the more you avoid it the scarier it becomes right so this is very often why you see someone, for example, who have social anxiety, whether it's related to food or not, right? Someone has social anxiety and they kind of get out of, what can I say, almost like getting out of training in terms of the, the social aspects, right? Their social anxiety will worsen, right? We saw this a lot during COVID where people who had, for example, social anxiety, they noticed that once things started opening up again after lockdowns, they they reported that their social anxiety had skyrocketed and that is because they engaged in avoidance of course during that situation when there were lockdowns it was kind of unavoidable right but then what people had to do was to retrain to get back into it to show their brain that yeah this is not dangerous right and then the brain gets desensitized The problem is, as I mentioned, with social situations, such as social eating, right, eating in situations around people, is that the more you're avoiding it, your brain is kind of realizing that, yeah, this is a dangerous thing that we should avoid. And then because you're not exposing yourself to doing that, it just becomes harder and harder. That is, avoidance is a very typical behavior that worsens it. Secondly, we have so-called safety behaviors, right? So this is a sneaky one, right? It could be something like you're going into a restaurant with a friend, but you have spent a lot of time excessively like searching up the menu beforehand. In the moment, this may feel like it is helping you, right? It eases you in the moment. You feel like you're doing something that helps. Actually, what you're kind of doing is that you are showing your brain that, yeah, this is dangerous. We need to kind of almost be prepared for war here, right? This, of course, can be incredibly sneaky and I understand that letting go of some of these behaviors can be difficult as well, right? But if you are someone who struggles with, you know, anxiety around social eating and also just a lot of anxiety behaviors in general, even if it is something like being scared of, for example, dogs, right? Notice what kind of avoidance behaviors you're engaging in and also notice if you are engaging in safety behaviors. I use myself as an example, right? So I'm really claustrophobic and I hate driving. And as a result, what happens is that I will avoid it. I've been more conscious trying to not avoid it, of course, because I don't drive. I don't have a driver's license. I currently live in London for another week or two <laughs> till i to sorry. I haven't really been naturally exposed to driving as much because I don't really need to drive, right? But what I have noticed is that, especially in the past when this anxiety was a lot stronger, is that before I was gonna go somewhere by car, maybe I was gonna drive with a friend or with my partner, I would excessively check the route beforehand to see like how, how far is it, you know? And even like in the car, I would like put up my phone and analyze the route and see, okay, okay, two minutes left, five minutes left, and then we're there, right? And what I noticed is that this behavior of checking the route beforehand, I felt beforehand that it calmed me down, but then actually what kind of happened is that it made me more anxious because it was like I was kind of priming my brain to be anxious later. In comparison, when I've had times, for example, where me and my partner, we need to drive somewhere kind of last minute without having planned it beforehand, like maybe, oh, I need to, we need to drive somewhere, just, yeah. Without me having had time to engage in those safety behaviors or planning or prepping and like almost like hyping myself up or (laughs) actually hyping myself down, technically speaking, I noticed that I would be less anxious if we just kind of went for the drive and I didn't have time to create anxiety beforehand almost, right? Still didn't like it, but I noticed that became easier. And in the context of social eating, you may have noticed that if you, for example, imagine you're Out with friends and you kind of just have to go to a cafe last minute you didn't have much time to think or plan it probably I mean don't get me wrong I understand that that can be incredibly scary just being put on the spot there a bit right but I think if we look at amount of anxiety accumulated if you had known about that situation a week beforehand you may have in the terms of amount anxiety felt in total right amount of time spent anxious you would have seen that endlessly kind of knowing that it's going to come may actually have almost worsened the outcome outcome compared to just kind of being thrown a bit in the situation right and this is why I think in recovery a lot of it is about what I call and this sounds like an oxymoron but I call it call it planned spontaneity right I know that sounds again like an oxymoron because how can you be planned spontaneous but it is about putting yourself in situations and planning beforehand, like, okay, this week, I'm going to put myself in situations where there is potential for something spontaneous to happen, right? So for example, your friend from out of town is coming to visit, and you know that they are someone who loves to go grab pizza last minute at evenings, right? So maybe planning, hanging out with them in the evening, and you know, there's a chance that that might happen. And don't get me wrong, I don't want you to be dependent on other people to initiate these kind of things. I think the best thing is also being the one that initiates, right? This is a trap people sometimes fall into in terms of social eating, is that where they're not taking any initiative, they're just waiting for other people to take initiative, right? So also just something to be mindful of. But overall, what I'm talking about here is to get yourself out of your comfort zone and put yourself in situations that you know will allow for that allow for more spontaneous situations to to happen right if you're just in your own safe space and not really putting yourself out there then how how is that going to happen right there still is a lot of value in planning challenges don't get me wrong this is not me saying that oh no plan like a challenge has to be spontaneous to be good absolutely not right and if you're kind of going by that, then the trap is ending up in a situation where nothing happens because you can't plan any challenge, challenges because they have they have to be spontaneous, right? So this is not what we want to do either. I think planning challenges is absolutely essential, right? It's so much of the work I'm doing with clients is being like, okay, where can we add in a challenge this week, right? But I think it is also about doing that in combination with intentionally putting yourself a bit out of your comfort zone where these spontaneous situations can kind of pop up and actually when they pop off pop up you grab them instead of of kind of telling yourself like okay but this was not the challenge that i had planned for this week right this is a trap i sometimes see with clients is that we for example set an agreement okay you're gonna go to the bakery this week right and then their friend is like hey can we, do you want to go grab pizza but then the person is like oh but I already had the bakery planned and oh my god what to do now the pizza was not my planned challenge for the week and then it's like do both right do both grab these things grab these challenges when they pop up and I think in terms of social eating it's a bit of a tricky one because a lot of the times especially if you're someone who maybe have turned down these invites over a period of time a lot of times people kind of just stop asking. And this can, of course, reinforce the eating disorder's false idea that social eating is for other people, it's not for you, right? But it's kind of like, imagine if you have a friend, and this friend has made it very clear that they don't drink tea, they have no interest in drinking tea, right? I'm using this as an example, because in the UK, it's such a classical example with tea, like, if you go to someone's place, they're gonna offer you tea, right? Still getting used to that. (laughs) But... Imagine if you have a friend who just every time you offer them tea, when they come over, they say, no, I don't drink tea. I I don't want tea. Right. Eventually, you're probably just going to stop offering them tea. Right. This does not mean that they don't need or deserve tea. Right. It just means that you've kind of gotten the picture that that they don't really want it. They're going to decline it. So why even bring it up and make it potentially a bit awkward so they have to turn it down. Right. Same thing often happens with social eating. And this is why it is also important for you to take some initiative, right? Imagine if that friend I mentioned I was coming over to my place, this imaginary person that didn't like tea. Imagine if they secretly really wanted tea and they noticed that maybe I was giving tea to the other friend or having some tea myself. What if they were just sitting there thinking, oh, I just, I can never drink tea again, right? No, you you should then let me know like, hey, I'm actually kind of into tea, you know, these days, maybe I could have a glass as well. Right. And then I'll be like, ah, cool. And then I'll start offering them tea. Right. That could be that I may forget the next time I see them that they like tea now. Right. It could then be that I forget it, but then they can remind me and then eventually I'll realize, oh, okay. and this can be a tricky area because a lot of times we kind of see people based on, of course, how they behave around us. Right a person who's always avoiding dogs, we are assuming that they don't wanna be around dogs, right? And this is just human behavior one-on-one, right? But we also need to be aware that human behavior one-on-one is change, right? People change. For example, like I mentioned the tea example. Other example is someone who maybe never liked dogs, but then they start actually really liking dogs, and eventually then I'll introduce them to my dog, right? But it is your responsibility to show to other people that you are changing, right? And I know how scary this can be because I know a lot of times people build a lot of identity into the eating disorder and they feel like if they're changing, like they feel like it's it's like a bad thing to change and they don't want other people to change the perception of them as sick. Right. I know this is can be kind of controversial and difficult topic that we can discuss more in the future. So there is identity work to be held here. Right. And also, I think a lot of there's a lot of work around performance, right? I hear this a lot in terms of social eating, is people will, for example, be in an eating situation socially with friends that have known them throughout their eating disorder. And they may notice that they intentionally start almost like slowing down or eating less, because they feel like this is how I need to perform, in quotation mark, perform my eating disorder in front of other people, because this is how they see me, right? Whilst if you were completely alone eating, you would maybe have eaten faster or eating more, right? So Be a bit mindful of that, like almost that script, how that is playing out. But again, you have to show people that you are changing in order for them to also change how they view you, right? There can be a bit of a, what can I say? It can be a bit of a time gap between from when you change to when people have completely picked up on the change and start actually treating you based on that, right? It's kind of, again, like I said with the tea example, I may forget the first few times that I see my friend that they actually really like tea now, right? I may forget it. This does not mean that you just have to engage with your eating disorder forever and ever, right? This is such a typical eating disorder belief that, okay, this is how people see me. They see me as, you know, the health nut, right? Or they see me as the vegan person, or they see me as the fitness person. What if I don't engage in these behaviors around them? What would they think, right? A lot of times they won't think much at all. And a lot of times the guilt and shame you're feeling inside yourself, you're actually projecting it onto other people. You assume because you feel bad about maybe ordering the burger, right? You assume other people will judge you when actually it's just you judging yourself, right? So be mindful of that projection and how that may show up. So in a nutshell, when it comes to something like social eating, it is one of those things that you just have to do. I think a lot of times, and this goes with so many things in recovery, people spend so much time kind of thinking, okay, I'm scared of this thing. What is the perfect way? What, what do I do? What do I do to get out of it? What do I think? And they just try like, they try to fix their thoughts instead of fixing their actions. And then the thoughts will follow, right? And that is essentially something that ten- tends to keep people stuck. It's kind of like me with my car anxiety. Imagine if I was just spending all my time reading about car anxiety, learning about, nah, nah, nah. I mean, it wouldn't really fix me, right? What has been helping is me actually just getting in that car. And trust me, I have been hating it. I have had times when my anxiety was really bad. where I would cry before getting into a car, right? It sucks. I know it sucks at times, right? But eventually it gets better. And then in the beginning, it may not be amazing, right? And that's okay. And I think this is something to kind of be a bit mindful of because a lot of times people with eating disorders have a lot of food perfectionism. So for example, a social situation involving food, they're thinking this is not worth it because I'm eating and not enjoying it because I'm so anxious, right? You have to do it. And by doing it, it eventually becomes enjoyable. So with a car example again, right? So I remember in the beginning when I started challenging this anxiety, it was just it was just miserable. I never enjoyed a moment of being in a car. Right. And then things started kind of getting a bit better. And then I remember I even had some car rides where I was actually kind of enjoying it. Right. I noticed that we were kind of having a good time. We would kind of stop and, you know, buy some some food and drink and eat it in the car. And then just kind of be like, yeah, this is actually becoming nice. I'm starting to enjoy this. Right. And the same thing goes with social eating. The first few times you're doing it, it may not be that fun. It may feel like all eyes are on you. Trust me, they are not. <laughs> they are not. So you're gonna feel it, it's not gonna be on you, right? It first, The first few times it may not be as enjoyable, but then by consistently doing it, you may notice, oh, this was quite nice, right? I remember this myself. I hated eating just around my family, for example, because I felt like I didn't really enjoy the food as much when I was with my family. I wanted to instead just be in my own and follow my own rituals around food. So in the beginning, I kind of just had to do it just because I had to get used to it, right? And then gradually I started really enjoying it. And now like, yes, don't get me wrong. I Of course, I, I mean, I live alone, so I eat most of my meals alone but I really love eating with other people, right? It's not something that I'm like, oh, you know, it's something that I really enjoy. It's, it's, it's nice, right? This is something that can also go the other way. So I've been working with people with, this is what I see in clients is that a lot of times there will be the underlying fears and mindsets, but it will manifest in different behaviors, right? So for example, some people will avoid social eating because of food perfectionism, anxiety, what other people are going to think, na na na. But then I also have worked with people where it actually manifests. It's the same anxiety, but it manifests a bit differently where instead they're like, okay, I'm only going to do my challenges around other people, right? Because I need to prove to them that I'm not unwell, right? So this can manifest in so many different ways, but it is the eating disorder underlying in either case. So overall, you need to get into action, right? What can be helpful here is having a few, like almost like recovery allies. And that could be friends, it could be family, it could be coworkers, classmates, anyone who knows maybe just that you are in a situation where this is an area where you seek to challenge a bit, and then maybe making some agreements with them. Like for example, this week we're gonna go to the bakery, this week we're gonna do this and that. And also maybe just encouraging them, like, hey, actually, you know what, ask me. If you you feel like going to the bakery, ask me, invite me, push me a bit, right? This, in terms of when it comes to pushing, especially in terms of social eating, it is really individual. Some people like having a person in their life that's kind of like, come on, we're going to get pizza. Oh, don't like, no, 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 we are having pizza. <laughs> for some people, that's very helpful. For other people, that is not so helpful. So it's important that you kind of know what works for you and what doesn't and communicate that with the people around you and kind of help them help you. An unfortunate thing that often happens when it comes to social eating and eating disorders is that the people around you, they think that they are being helpful by basically accommodating to your eating disorder. So for example, maybe you're going to visit your aunt and your aunt wants to be considerate. So your aunt is essentially preparing your safe foods for you and be like, oh, I have your safe foods all ready and prepared. Or it could be you're going to... uh, going to see friends and they don't offer you cake in a party because they don't want to make you uncomfortable and they assuming you're going to turn it down anyways right They're essentially trying to be considerate, but of course what the eating disorder is interpreting is that, oh yeah, you need to engage in disorder behaviors. You don't deserve foods like the other people, right? So be mindful of that. And again, it comes back to kind of what I said with your other people, how they see you change according to your behavior. If you're always turning down cake, people aren't gonna assume that you wanna eat cake with them, right? So you have to also take some responsibility and initiative in this arena. The only way to beat the fear is to face it, right? And this is where people go wrong so many times. They think that they can beat the fear by running away from it and hiding. And then they start intellectualizing. They think that they can just think their way out of it. Like, oh, if I just think logically that I shouldn't feel this way, na no, no, it will go away. And don't get me wrong, some reframes can be helpful at times. It can be helpful to have a little bit of a mantra to yourself, like eyes on my own plate. Other people are not really focusing that much on what I'm eating. It is just my perception, right? Having some reminders and some like mantras can of course be very helpful. But at the end of the day, you have to do rather than just thinking about doing, because it is the action that's gonna get you, basically, that's that's where the magic happens, right? It's the action that's gonna get you towards where you want to be. And one of my favorite recovery mantras is that if you can't do it calm, do it scared. And it's so much better to do something and then maybe something went wrong. Maybe you panicked, okay, fine. Then you know, okay, that was a bit too much. Maybe I'll do this again, but maybe I'll, for example, instead of doing it with a group of 20 people, I'm going to start maybe doing it with my mom or my dad or and then maybe kind of gradually build up that way, right? Just make sure that you are actually consistently challenging yourself, right? Sometimes people trick themselves a bit with the thinking, oh, I'm fine with social eating because I can eat, I can eat snacks with my partner, right? Me and my my partner, we can go out and eat, but then they can't really eat, for example, with their partner's family, right? So be mindful of this, but it is also okay to start with something that is more manageable and then kind of build it up that way. Even though I always think that the more you can throw yourself into things and the more you can just do, the better the results, right? Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode on social eating and anxiety of eating in social situations. And yeah, I hope you're enjoying this podcast and leave a rating if you like it, share with a friend or someone who may enjoy hearing and also feel free to follow me over at letsrecover.substack.com uh, where i got articles q a's also got some bonus podcast episodes etc etc so yeah take a look at that as well and yeah have a great week guys